Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are this time. I'm Ali Amagasu, and you're listening to the latest episode of Cloud Unfiltered. As always, I am accompanied by my extremely intelligent co-host, Pete Johnson, coming to you from upstate Michigan. Pete. Hey, Ali. You know, it's only 22 degrees here today, but there's no precipitation. I know you you weather wimps in Southern California got like five inches of rain and all hell broke loose. But <laughs> It did. I'm glad to hear you're doing okay. Are you still yeah, smarting okay. a bit? Because our last guest, I think, outweathered you with negative He did outweather 20. me, and Toronto, temperature-wise, is always going to outweather Michigan. But, you know, I've I've come to terms with it. Good. I'm glad you made your peace with it. And honestly, I believe that uh, our guest today may be in a weather interesting location as well. I'd like to welcome Matt Ferguson. He is the Director of Product Management for Multi-Cloud Integrations and Solutions. Welcome, Matt. Thank you very much. I'm uh, really excited to have the conversation. And uh, as far as weather forecasts, uh, it's currently sunny, but it is going to be a very snowy weekend. I think they're calling for five to eight inches of snow. So, Where are you uh, located? In the Boston area. So we're up in the Northeast. Okay, great. Well, thank yes. you for joining us today. What I didn't mention in introducing Matt is that that title, that Director of Product Management Multi-Cloud Integrations and Solutions is a Cisco title. He's a Cisco colleague of ours. And we invited him here because it has been pointed out to me that we really didn't talk about what was kind of a big announcement for Cisco. It happened a couple months ago. We I think partnered is probably, we collaborated with Amazon on a hybrid solution for Kubernetes. And uh, it's it's definitely an important part of our portfolio. It's an important part of the way we're moving forward. <laughs> we have not talked about it on this show. So we wanted to invite somebody on who knows all the stuff and can tell us about it. So, so Matt, can you give our listeners a, uh, a description? It doesn't have to be an overview. It can be a deep dive on, on what is this? What is this solution and why did we do it uh, with Amazon and uh, what's it meant to achieve? Absolutely. I mean, well, you know, the first and foremost, I think even the group multi-cloud integrations and solutions is um, unique to the company. And the goal of the group is to have conversations, to collaborate with our cloud providers and, and start actually working on either novel or innovative ways that we can actually integrate our products into a cloud environment. So that starts with you know, a conversation and we do this collaboration, we figure out areas that make a lot of sense, and then we start figuring out the technologies that line up to of those objectives. And what we started uh, rallying around was the area of Kubernetes, and then on top of how, how do we leverage Kubernetes in this hybrid environment? So clearly Cisco having hardware um, on-prem, Amazon bringing the EKS or the uh, Elastic Kubernetes service, um, we can actually take the uh, underpinnings of what a container service would be in the cloud as well as a container service on-prem, and we can join them together and actually create this seamless environment. And that's really what it's about. Um, is creating that seamless environment for the developer or for the operator that is running um, with this with this solution. So um, on top of that, I would say is that's that's one layer of the solution, but Cisco as well as Amazon bring other services to the table or other products to the table. So we we layer on 
the other elements of the solution to make it feature rich, to provide that full um, overall either product or solution um, you know, uh, that we're trying to solve for the customer. That makes sense. So what customer wants this? What, what would the, the situation be in? I'm sure there's any number of situations, but what kind of problem does this solve for a target customer? Yeah, we, um, we, we actually rallied around a, a number of pretty primitive use cases. Um, and what you had to sort of tease apart with all the various products Cisco has, all the various services that Amazon brings to the table, what are those use cases that we're trying to solve for the customer? So we started off with, with some of the very basics of the basics. You want to deploy infrastructure. And when you deploy infrastructure, you start with you know, some form of compute. Um, Cisco has our compute platforms, and we're focusing on our Hyperflex. And then Amazon obviously has their EC2 instances or um, the compute as layer as well. And then you layer on top of that the Kubernetes service, and you keep on building. And then we started going, well, once you've done the deployment, and really what we're using is Cisco Container Platform as that Kubernetes deployer. So it will deploy to the on-prem uh, Hyperflex infrastructure, as well as deploy a Kubernetes uh, cluster to the uh, EKS uh, environment. But once you've done that, once you've laid down the infrastructure and deployment phase, we, we, we started with the connectivity phase. And we go, OK, we'd like to connect in, in a sort of maybe secure or robust fashion. And we've added on various connectivity options. So you could do a VPN. You could do an over the top. And we could use products like the CSR1KV, which is our cloud services router. Or you can start using other technologies that we're going to start talking about in the future iterations to, to do that connectivity. And then we added a security element to it with StealthWatch Cloud. We added a application or monitoring capability with application or AppD, so you could actually understand the applications. And then you actually have the application deploy layer with Cloud Center. So each use case has a very specific either product or solution that we did with the integration. So would these customers then be folks who they're primarily using Amazon right now and they're interested in an on-prem deployment of cloud as well? Or will they have been customers who are using Amazon and have kind of, I, I guess that's what I'm trying to figure out is where do they come into this? Where does this start helping them? Yeah, so you know, one of the things that you know, you very quickly realize in this hybrid world we're living in, the majority of the enterprise customers right now are going through a journey. And that journey is how do they migrate their workloads either that were started in the cloud or that start in on-prem. And we understand that, you know, it's still very much a growing area. The customer base, though, the, the people that we're focusing on is probably first the operator, those that were in the ops environments of, okay, I have this infrastructure and I need to connect to either AWS or I have more likely an application or dev community or dev organization that is telling the ops organization, I have an application that, oh, by the way, is residing on AWS. I need to connect it back to a data store or something on-prem. 
And that is generally sort of one of the ways that these conversations happen. The other scenario is the exact flip opposite of that. I have a dev community or someone who has written an application on-prem and they want to extend that capability either because of geography or because of cost or a variety of other factors, extend that into AWS. So we're really coming to it from both angles of the equation in, in two different groups. So previously, was it possible for them to do that? Could they like hack their way into making that work or was it just not possible? Well, I think, you know, quite candidly, I think regardless of um, where you started in this journey, whether you had applications were on-prem or had applications in the cloud, it was more about the seamless environment. They were silos. You had one in the cloud, you had an environment on-prem. And with the uh, hybrid solution that we're working with Amazon, the hybrid Kubernetes solution, is the focus that we really wanted to bring is identity and how identity can, I hesitate to solve, but at a minimum lessen the disparity between the environments. So what identity brings or Amazon's IAM, the Identity and Access Management Service does, is it allows the policies that you generate on Amazon to be consistent with the policies that you would have on-prem. So in particular, within Kubernetes, I wanna be pretty clear on that. So when I create a cluster on Amazon, I would deploy the same policy and enforced by RBAC as well as the same policy and enforced by RBAC on-prem. So really what you're trying to do is say to the operator, you've created a seamless connection with a seamless environment and policy between on-prem and in the cloud. And then that by extension allows the application developer to feel comfortable that their applications would have the same environment, the same experience, the same performance, whether it's in cloud or on-prem. Nice. You, now, I, when you're talking about things like identity management and RBAC and getting into that, this is where I feel like I run around the edge of the track and I hand the baton to Pete. <laughs> what, what questions are brewing in your mind right now, Yeah, Pete? I mean, I have two favorite parts of this announcement. And, and the first one is this one that you were talking about here, Matt, with the IM roles. And, and you're, you're way too nice a person to say this the way that I'm going to say it, which is setting up IM roles in EKS are just a humongous pain. So... So like the, the, the cool thing about this is that now you don't have to worry about that. And as you, you talked about, now you get some, so you, you get the same level of security on-prem as you would in public cloud now because CCP is handling all the complexities of those IAM roles. And, and you touched on this a little bit, and I think we're gonna deep dive on this a little bit later, a little bit more broadly than just CCP. Are you seeing from what you hear from the field that sometimes you do want that Kubernetes cluster on-prem and other times you want it in the cloud and hey, it would be nice that regardless of where you want it, you have the same, same control plane. Yeah, so I think you're starting to see an evolution of matching or having the flexibility to, to determine your application specific requirements and in being able to solve those, you know, those requirements either in the cloud or on-prem, or I think even, you know, with the catalog of instances that you are um, access to within Amazon, you might have a large instance or a small instance, a nano instance. 
you might have large memory requirements, you might have large disk requirements. You have a catalog in the cloud, and what you're doing is you want that same experience and capability on-prem as well. You want to be able to go, I need some GPU acceleration, maybe because I have some very specific machine learning or uh, AI. Well, right? Exactly, or Kubeflow. So, so what what I think you know, now is is you're able to take advantage of some of the capabilities that you, as either a developer or operator, um, naturally get from a cloud provider. By extension, you're able to sort of have that also on prem, and vice versa. The other part that you mentioned, when, which was identity and access management, and we really believe it's an area that if you have ever deployed any service within Amazon. You're very well aware that identity is the first thing you have to set up. You have to have a user. You you know roles and security groups and policies come along with it, and you can create very sophisticated operational type models where a user is tied to a variety of different roles with a variety of different policies, and and it slowly it very quickly becomes an operational way that you work with yeah. your cloud provider. And if you are going to invest that much time and energy to set that up in the cloud, well, you won't, don't necessarily want to recreate all of that on-prem if you're going to go from the cloud to on-prem. So having Cisco Container Platform leverage all the effort that you did with setting that up and securing it and locking it down in the cloud and having the Cisco Container Platform leverage that and have the same policy without all that, you know, overhead yeah. and burden, that's really, I think, some of the advantage that it brings. Because the good news is you have operational flexibility. The bad news is you have operational flexibility, right? And right. It, it's there. You just have to figure it out. And, I mean, a, a big reason why, why we're offering CCP for on-prem to begin with is because those traditional IC operators, the learning curve for Kubernetes is so steep. If you have to add to that the IAM learning curve, right, that, that puts people at a pretty distinct disadvantage. And one of the things I like about what we're doing with this, I mean, this is this idea of being able to use the CCP control plane to launch clusters, not just on-prem, but in other places. That's been on the roadmap for a little while, and I'm sure we're going to see other instances of it in the future. But we see this idea of have a simple unified experience, whether it's the CSR1KD you referenced earlier, you can use that in Google, you can use that in Amazon, you can use that in Azure, and it works the same way every time, as opposed to having to train your network administrators to use Transit Gateway and the equivalent in Azure and the equivalent in Google. And now they have three things they need to keep up the speed on, as opposed to having one to keep it simple. And, and one of the things that might not be obvious with you know the integration with IAM and the CCP, the container platform, Cisco Container Platform, is that what we're doing is we're not taking a Kubernetes stack and taking the entire stack and then putting it on, or the Cisco sort of version of Kubernetes and putting that on AWS. Right. What we're doing is we're leveraging all the innovation and all the capabilities of Amazon's EKS service and what we're doing is API calls. And in order to do any API call within Amazon, obviously you need to have uh, an IAM user with a role definition and a policy that can actually communicate to EKS. And then what you're doing is you're letting EKS spin up those worker nodes because what you're doing is you're controlling it via CCP. 
So that's, that's um, we believe, an advantage. We believe that that is a more elegant way of you're not competing against a cloud provider. You're leveraging the best of what the cloud provider uh, offers. Yeah, in a way that's easy for you to consume, right? And, and that leads right. me to my second favorite part of this announcement. How big a deal, explain how the support model works and, and how big a deal was that set up with them? Yeah, so that's the other part that I think, you know, these emerging technologies require a skill set, require, you know, a lot of investment up front to understand, to architect, and then to deploy, and then to monitor, maintain. And through that entire process, you know, you could get lost in the, well, where is it broken? Yeah. Who do I call to support it? I need expertise that can help troubleshoot whenever I run into an issue. And so Cisco, along with AWS, came to a very quickly an agreement that Cisco would be the primary point of contact for the entire solution. So we are uh, effectively your first phone call if you have an issue or you need to troubleshoot or you have some questions about either the setup or the deployment or where you ever you are in the overall <clears throat> life cycle of the solution. And so that I think really is an advantage as well. So to like how this would play out, right? You make your call to Cisco TAC, which the IT operator probably already has a familiarity and a comfortability with. And what you're never gonna hear at a Cisco TAC is, oh, I'm sorry, that's an AWS issue. You're going to have to call them and I'd like to close this ticket. That's not going to happen in this scenario, right? Well, that's, yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, we've, I think, you know, in my former career at Cisco, I have been that person in the chair who's taken that conversation, who's taken that phone call. I've done that. And it's, it's I think it's a badge of honor. Our support organization is highly regarded and will do everything to solve until you are satisfied, solve your problem or answer your question or, you know, figure out the root cause and diagnose it for you. Yeah. So them being able to pull in AWS in the back end of that call, I think is pretty huge yeah. and not, I mean, it, and it goes, you know, it speaks to some of the things with, with, with some of the CCP value chain as it relates to support as well, right? You're, you're not going to have the hardware vendor pointing fingers at the software vendor with your Kubernetes as a service on-prem because it's all Cisco TAC anyway, and we're just going to figure it out for you. So I love that it's an extension of that. Yeah, and we've, being a part of a fairly new team within Cisco that does do these integrations and does do these solutions for multi-cloud, one of the things that's been our our mantra, our task, our mission is to ensure that we document and we have, you know, very clear sort of, you know, here is the entire solution documented. Here is sample scripts. Here's some sample commands that you should run to monitor or to ensure, you know, that that uh, you've set everything up correctly. And we truly believe that the developer.cisco.com or Susie Wee's uh, DevNet community yeah. is a great spot to you know have this you know solution documentation so we're putting it all there we're we're thinking about it differently in a sense that we are opening it up it's essentially the documentation is a github repo where we can actually have anybody do an issue so they you know if anybody has any comments 
submit an issue. If you see an error, do a pull request on the documentation. If you have uh, an extension or something that you think you know would add to the solution, we would love to have that dialogue because I think this is the part of the continuation that you know this isn't just the end of the solution. This is the beginning, and there's more to come. Yeah, and I, I think that speaks how you know the circles that the three of us run in is so different than traditional Cisco, which has to have a long lead time because you have physical product that's part of the solution. Because this is all software, you can iterate over that stuff much more quickly. And I, I think that's a big step to be willing to put the documentation out there in a GitHub repo for exactly the benefits you're talking about. Yeah, so we, we look forward to doing this you know, with other cloud providers, with other solutions. Uh, evolving and growing. I think this is going to be an area that I think we can open up to and have, I think, another avenue of either, you know, examples. There's a sandbox on DevNet. There is, you know, uh, so you can actually try this. You can actually sort of stand up a Cisco container platform. You can run the commands and see if, you know, you, you know, so it's a, it's a training vehicle as much as it is an overall solution uh, documentation. And would they find that at devnet.com or do you know what the devnet sandbox.cisco.com where you can find that? I use that on a daily basis. Okay. Yeah. You heard it yeah. here, listeners. Go check it out at devnetsandbox.cisco.com. Um, Matt, as you've been going through this, I have a feeling that for some listeners, this is going to be a little bit of inside baseball because we've been referring to CCP a lot. And for those of you who don't know what CCP is, I'll encourage you to go to cisco.com slash go slash containers <laughs> to, to learn a little bit about it or listen to episode 37 of this podcast where we featured Jeremy Oki uh, describing what CCP is and how it works. But um, part of the reason I bring that up is I'm not sure if I was listening, I would still understand entirely what I, if I buy the solution literally, what am I getting? Is it, is it, is it hardware? Is it software? Can it just be software? What's involved? Yeah, we've we've made a very conscious effort in what we do with these integrations and solution is to make them as flexible and as composable as possible. And so a decision very early on was the only real requirement to get you at least the starting of the solution, the minimal viable, is CCP. And if you have CCP and EKS, you can drive a Kubernetes cluster deployment onto EKS. Mm -hmm. You do right now today with the Cisco Container Platform do uh, require some underlying infrastructure for on-prem, but you know it's not specifically that you have to have Cisco hardware to do that. Now, I, I you know I always you always say that. My my only you know point being is it's better together. So we clearly we test we you know we validate we we work very closely with the Cisco hardware. That's our first natural inclination. But you know going forward, you know CCP as a software only product is you know the only thing you need. Well, and to that end, if you go use that DevNet sandbox, which they just now upgraded to 2.2.2 here in the last week, it's it's on vSphere, and you have no visibility to what the hardware is under the hood. Now, I would imagine that Suzy forked up some money for some UCS servers or maybe some Hyperflex, but as the operator of a CCP instance, you have you have no visibility. You don't know, nor do you care 
Right, right. Very good point. You don't care if it's working and, and doing what you need. And, and that's another interesting thing why I really want to drive people to, to learn about CCP if they don't know already that, I mean, the functionality of that product, just the more I learn about it, I mean, I've been selling it for, I don't know, almost a year now. We're not selling it, but doing marketing for it. And it, it, the more I learn about it, the more it blows me away what it's, what it's capable of and uh, what it kind of, the amount of work it offloads for anybody who's really trying to seriously use Kubernetes for container orchestration. Kubernetes is amazing, but Cisco Container Platform makes it really a lot more manageable, a lot easier to use. Yeah, you know, um, the evolution and the speed at which technology is progressing. I mean, you know, just think about the, you know, we've gone from monolithic applications, we've we've shrunk those down and we've virtualized them. We've uh, we've created uh, platforms like OpenStack that, you know, you want to be able to obfuscate the infrastructure to now to containers, to serverless. The spectrum of the evolution is happening so fast. I think you know uh, IT organizations are, are really just trying to catch up, and I think having a company like Cisco with uh, our collaboration with AWS really sort of allows you know a confidence that we are you know we're working together. We are our goal is to make it more simple and you know uh, easier to consume, and hopefully you know try to solve a particular problem that you might have, which is you know the complexity as well as the support as well as the ability to take your applications and extend them into the cloud or take those applications and extend them on-prem. Well, I was gonna say, to me, that's the key thing, right? Is that no one size fits all the way that, the way that we used to think about data center computing 25 years ago, that you, you, know, you had one kind of physical server, you deployed one application on it, everybody used a relational database, you know, is all kind of very vanilla cookie cutter. And, and we're seeing, as evidenced by some of these hybrid cloud solutions that Cisco is announcing, that there's, there's no more one size fits all. And there's these little niches of applications that have different needs. It all really depends on what you need. But, but given that that in itself creates complexity, how can you simplify that with kind of single pane of glass viewing on some of these things? Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, um, look at, the curse of choice, I think, I, you know, I've heard it described is, is, you know, you have that flexibility, you have that uh, opportunity to right size it and fit it. But the choice also breeds a variety of different options, which have different knobs and different control. So we are taking somewhat of an opinionated curated approach um, with a support model. But you know the extensibility is still there. You still have full control of your Kubernetes environment. It is 100% Kubernetes upstream native, whatever you would get from the open source community. What we're doing is we're wrapping around all the capabilities to manage, deploy that cluster on-prem or in the cloud. And offering a management domain as well, where you can actually monitor you know, with open source curated tools like you would get anywhere else and have the visibility of, you know, how is it performing as well? Well, and like the, in, inside of Cisco, I'm sure you guys feel this too, like the, the, like the DNA suite gets a lot of the, a lot of the publicity and rightfully so. And, and really what the point of that suite is, is to make the day in the life of a network administrator easier as the complexity of having a more complicated network as that job becomes harder and really I always see this as we're doing the same thing here for the IT operator, even for the developer, so that you can get more throughput out of that headcount. I mean, really, that's what this is all about. Yep, exactly.
Hey, Matt, I want to take you back as to one thing. As you and Pete have been discussing this, well, all of us, we're certainly throwing around the term hybrid cloud. And that might be confusing for some folks because Cisco has very clearly put a flag in the ground on enabling the multi-cloud world. That is, that is what we have decided we are going to do. So why is this a hybrid solution? Yeah, no, this is... Uh... You know, again, back to the layers. As a, as a broader Cisco corporate strategy, the multi-cloud message, I think, is, is the right one. It's, it makes a lot of sense because at the end of the day, every product, every service, everything that Cisco develops should work in this multi-cloud world. It should be able to work on Azure. It should be able to work on Google. It should be able to work on Amazon. So I think the mandate, you know, that we are in this multi-cloud world is the right mandate and the right message. What we're doing is we're taking a particular example with a particular cloud provider, in this case, Amazon, AWS, and we're working them with a very concrete, very specific a hybrid solution between Cisco products and on-prem in this case, as well as their service in the cloud. So we're taking sort of a, a slice of that multi-cloud strategy and we're doing a hybrid solution with our cloud provider. Okay, so hybrid then is more of a reference to working with one provider and how they're how you would use them either on-premises or in the cloud versus working across multiple providers. Correct. Now, the thing that the thing that uh, you know what you want to do is you want to start whenever you are in conversation and collaboration with our uh, cloud provider. We want to be able to accentuate or accelerate or you know showcase either uh, some offering or some innovation within the cloud provider. We want to obviously solve a problem from our, for our customers. So we have to have a very, very specific uh, customer problem that we're solving. And you know you can't boil the ocean. So whenever you start into these engagements or in these, these integrations and these solutions, you're very prescriptive in what you're trying to do and what you're trying to solve. And there's a beginning and then there's an end and then we move on to the next one. So I think we did this, if, if, if people might be aware, we did this with Google and we had uh, our hybrid solution with Google. We have moved and we now are working with Amazon and we have our hybrid solution with Amazon and you can probably speculate that we'll continue that um, with other providers. Nice. Yeah, it seems like there's one missing there, and I don't want to say who it is out loud. There is there is at least one. I can think of a number of others, too. A, but yes, there's at least one big one. Might be a second one out of Rochester. I don't... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so I've asked you the things that, that, were, uh, that I was wondering about, and I think Pete's asked you what he wanted to. Are there things we didn't ask that we should have asked about this partnership and this or this collaboration and this solution before we move on and talk about bigger issues in the industry yeah no absolutely no i think you start with a base product and a base service like cisco container platform you extend it into uh, amazon eks and you integrate with amazon's identity and access management so if you just pause there for a second that's a significant part of either engineering development, integration, or overall just part of the solution. And I think that alone also, um, you know, just candidly for everybody who's listening, drives other conversations because we believe that identity layer is really important. It's not just for users. It's, it's for machines. It's applications. It's all other aspects of the um, overall 
capabilities that we think we're going to start leveraging with identity. So I think that's an area to sort of keep and pay attention to as we sort of progress and we, we move forward with, you know, other areas that we explore with other, <clears throat> other technologies. But then you layer on the application deployment with Cloud Center. You layer on the security with StealthWatch Cloud. You layer on the monitoring with AppDynamics. And you can start to see that each of these layers adds to the overall solution and becomes one system. And so that's been our goal is create one system, but be able to take one layer and go, you know what, I'd like this to be something else. Or I, so they're, they're extensible, they're composable, and, um, but most importantly, they work together. Okay, wait, so you get all those things with the solution, you get Cloud Center Suite, StealthWatch Cloud, AppDynamics? We've tested them. We know they work together, and it's all part of the solution. Oh, yeah. I see. Yeah, okay. Wow. That's that's amazing. I think that's that's kind of what I was trying to get with my earlier question that I did not ask very elegantly, but um, that is exciting stuff. So I, I know that when we had uh, spoken earlier, Pete had uh, thrown around a few topics he might want to, or a topic or two he might want to bounce off of you about, kind of the evolution of what's exciting in our industry right now, Pete. Yeah, well, in addition to correcting myself that IBM headquarters isn't near Rochester, I don't know why I thought that, but I had to go, <laughs> go wiki check myself. Um, I kind of think of all non-New York City as, as one thing, which I know is terrible to do. So I'm and it's sorry all Rochester. That live there. It's just all Rochester. It's not. So yeah, I mean, so we talked about this a little bit in, in, in prep, Matthew, that, and we touched on it a little bit, this idea of general purpose versus specific computing. And there's still room for a lot of different kinds of solutions, both on-prem and in public cloud. Where, where do you think this is, where do you think that kind of the next few frontiers would be? We kind of name drop Kubeflow a little bit. Is there something in that area? Are there other things that are kind of on your radar as important as kind of the next big thing? Yeah, I keep on calling out identity, but let's, let's put that uh, aside for a second. And let's just look at the spectrum that we've gone from just from the overall application factoring. We've gone from fairly monolithic applications that are on dedicated hardware, that we've gone into uh, service-oriented architectures that are sort of break those applications down, right. still probably on dedicated hardware. We've said, okay, well, you know what? We have now a bunch of little applications. Well, why are they on dedicated hardware? Let's, let's abstract that hardware. Then we went into the container virtualization, uh, then we went into containerization. I think one of the areas that I know I'm pretty interested in is we might be sort of revisiting areas of technology that worked in the past and applying yeah. them in new ways. And so Amazon recently announced Firecracker and quite candidly, yeah. I think that is a very fascinating place. You now have micro VMs, you know, where you've taken and stripped down pretty much everything at that hypervisor layer, you know, where it's very lightweight, it's it's very speedy, just like a container. Yeah, you can spin up VMs at container speed. Right. And that for me is fascinating. Now here's the interesting thing. If you think about Kubernetes, Kubernetes is an orchestrator but it's not specifically an orchestrator for containers. Now, containers are obviously the first thing that Kubernetes would orchestrate because that's sort of it's been its heritage. But I think you could start seeing an evolution of Kubernetes because of its extensibility, because of its native API model, because of its uh, operator model, because of its declarative model. You could start seeing areas of innovation that it's orchestrating not only containers, but potentially other 
sort of refactored applications that, you know, like a, a micro VM. Now that's, that's just uh, speculation. I don't know of any areas of actual, but you know, Kata containers, there's other yeah, areas Kata where you start, Gvisor is another example yeah. where you start seeing this blurring of either a true VM with hypervisor to containers and everything in between. Yeah, the first time I, I heard Firecracker get dropped at reInvent this year, which incidentally was the first time you and I met in person after being on many calls together, the first thing I thought was, what is a micro VM? Like, okay, we got like a new definition of like a new thing that's not a VM, it's not a container, it's a micro VM. And, and like you said, it's, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a new thing. And as we, you know, the, the other one that caught my my eye in the last couple of months, and I don't know if you saw this, but the, the NVIDIA CEO said that he thought Moore's Law no longer holds, right? Which mm -hmm. we've been riding that wave as an industry for 50 years. And now if that's no longer true, we have to do things like what you're suggesting, which is revisit old models and challenge challenge old thinking with with new thinking and, and come up with these new newer things like micro VMs. Yeah, no, I think we've ridden Moore's law. There's only so many transistors and, you know, how many nanometers can you actually truly get down to, you know, in a fab uh, that actually bumps up against, you know, laws of physics. Yeah, you know, the atomic so, scale. That's what I said <laughs> about where they are right now, right? Right. So you're now at that level where now it's it's the number of cores, it's the layers of caching that you might bring. It's, it's storage is always the, you know, one of the big areas of, you know, you gravitate to a, a very high performance or whatever storage that you need. But I think we're going to start seeing areas of leveraging technology like the micro VM, or, you know, you start seeing, okay, I have a Kubernetes layer that can orchestrate and deploy, have deployments, whether that is on a VM, right. a virtual machine, or whether it's bare metal, or, you know, whether it's a container, it, you, you, you can start seeing I can now even, I can, we, all, we, we talked about it on this call, I can now take a lot of that application requirements and I can find either the cost optimized location yeah. for it to be deployed, I can find the right geographic location where I need to deploy it, I can find the, you know, very specific performance requirements, GPU acceleration, CPU, IOPS, where I can deploy that application. So that's, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, and that's and that's that puts a really fine point on what I mean by not one size fits all because no one application, no, no two applications have the same, you know, all those factors you just threw out of of geography and and CPU and you know cost and those things are all different for any two applications. So the fact that you have all these choices and then how do you help people make those choices? Pete, you're so excited. You, I just saw you smacked your laptop. Oh you, no! I, I actually, I almost yanked my, I almost yanked my earbuds out of my ears. That's how excited I was about that train of thought. Well, well, I hate to, I hate to cut off the excitement, but we have just about run out of time, and I do want to close by, uh, by asking Matt uh, the question we always ask: How did you get into tech, sir? Oh boy, how did I get into tech? Well, my. My very early days of uh, you know my education, I actually started off in uh, biology. So in 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 my undergrad, when I was trying to figure out who am I, what am I going to be, um, I actually graduated with a genetics degree. So I was very much in a field that had very stringent protocols on how you would do experimentation and how you would get results and back then this is the 
early 90s, I'm dating myself, you know, these protocols were lengthy. It took a long time to sequence DNA or to find a protein, amino acid sequence, et cetera. And now today it's all automated, but back then it wasn't. But what fascinated me was that I could take this sequence of DNA and I could put it in a database and then I could query a machine or a computer halfway around the world and I could see whether I actually found something of you know significance or that someone else was looking at and that part is what fascinated me that's where I went wait a second how do how do I do this how does that work and so this 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 journey of the internet of remote computers and how do I navigate, that's where I sort of started realizing that's really the field that I'm more interested in. So long story short, I, uh, I started a little startup that was about hosting websites and uh, making an online presence. And then I figured, you know what, I need to really have a foundation. And I went and did my master's degree in engineering and here I am today sort of riding that technology curve because the pace and the just the wonderment of, uh, you know, what's going to happen is, is what excites me. So you got up from your bench in the genetics lab where you're doing experiments <laughs> and you just ran out the door and started a website. I think I'm going to web hosting. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a, there's a, there's a little, you know, there's a, there is a transition phase and the transition quite candidly is one of my mentors. And one of my mentors was a doctor in one of the local student clinics. And he was a Linux geek. He was actually head of the student clinic and he had created like, this is early nineties, an entire database system based off generic compute running Linux operating systems. And I kept on pinging him, like, what are you doing? What's this all about? How does this work? And he's the one that sort of really got me sort of thinking, you know, and tinkering and playing with. And, and then I eventually graduated with my genetics degree. But, yeah, I did start this business. And then I figured, well, I will, I will complete my training with a, a master's degree. That's a great story. That is really cool that you had the guts to follow your passion. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, you know, I've always been one of those, hey, what's cool over there? I want to go over there because I want to learn it. And, uh, you know, here I am today, and I'm pretty happy. That's a great story. Well, well, thank you for sharing that with us, and thank you for spending some time explaining uh, the, hybrid, the hybrid cloud solution for AWS today. That was really helpful. I hope um, our listeners got a lot out of it. And I hope that you'll come back and join us. I assume yeah. interesting things are going to continue to happen in your space as we partner with other as yet unnamed public cloud providers. I look forward to it. I look forward to the next conversation. Thank you very much for having me. Sure. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye, Pete. Bye. Bye, guys.